It arrived late on a Sunday afternoon, and it was a stunner. After nearly two years of investigation, 2,800 subpoenas, nearly 500 search warrants, and interviews with 500 witnesses, special counsel Robert Mueller had reached his conclusion. He found no evidence that President Trump or anybody in his campaign conspired with the Russians to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. So declared Attorney General William Barr in a terse four-page letter to Congress. Trump, of course, immediately proclaimed total vindication. It was proof, as he had said over and over again, there was no collusion. But there are questions, big ones, that remain on the table. On the other major issue Mueller investigated, whether Trump obstructed justice, the special counsel reached no conclusion. Really? Mueller didn't recommend indicting the president, but he didn't exonerate him either. Instead, it was Barr and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, both of them Trump appointees, who decided that Mueller's evidence did not add up to a crime that should be prosecuted. How exactly did they reach that conclusion? And why were they, and not Mueller, the ones who made the call? The whole purpose of appointing a special counsel in the first place was to avoid any appearance of conflicts of interest by political appointees. And yet, at the end of the day, two political appointees, beholden to the president, made what may have been the most consequential decision of Trump's presidency in Trump's favor. We'll discuss what that means and where things go from here on this special episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydeman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So the long-awaited report has arrived. We haven't actually read it yet, just this four-page summary by Barr, but it sure was surprising on many levels. Yeah, and and Washington is breaking down into partisan rancor and division. Surprise, surprise over the, yeah. over the results of this uh, The first thing we need to say, I think it is important to say, is the premise of this investigation was that Russia may have colluded, conspired, coordinated with the Trump campaign to effectively throw the 2016 election to Donald Trump. And the very clear conclusion of the special counsel after two years of investigation all those prosecutors, all those FBI agents and subpoenas that you mentioned, was that that did not happen. And so this president is going to, and you know, to, in some measure, justified in going out and saying that they came after him really hard and uh, they didn't bring him down. Um, right, and, and that's going to, and that, yeah. and this is going to say that that is going to embolden him, and it's going to rile up his base, and it's going to enhance his image as the guy who's upending the establishment in Washington. The deep state right. came after him, and he's still standing. Exactly. And, you know, look, there is some truth to this. I mean, I, I think that all of us in the media, and myself included, who have pursued the Russia story, need to acknowledge that 
the most serious allegation against Donald Trump has not panned out. There are a lot of serious matters and serious misconduct by Trump throughout the election and his presidency involving the Russians. And, and there well, were yeah, well, multiple contacts yes, right, exactly. uh, that the Russians had with the Trump campaign, with top officials of the Trump campaign. Trump was pursuing a business deal in Moscow while running for president, a clear conflict of interest. All of that was concealed from the public. We've learned a lot in the course and, of and, the Mueller and, investigation. Right. And before right. we beat ourselves up too much, I mean, there yeah. was evidence, pretty good evidence, that Trump and Trump's children and a lot of people around him wanted to collude. They were, they were, <laughs> they were, they were, the they, were they were collusion curious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They met in that you know, June 2016 meeting with Russian operatives who claimed to have dirt on Hillary Clinton, and they showed up to get that dirt. Okay, so yeah. in the end, according to Mueller, and we have to accept his word, no crimes were committed. So that is right. important. And look, you know, I have to say, having acknowledged that uh, I and along with others, you know, may have overstated at times some of the um, allegations against Trump, I did see this coming for a while. I suspected this is where things were headed. And I think I pointed out on this podcast at various times, the court filings that I read by Mueller did not point at further criminal cases against the president or other high-ranking figures in the Trump campaign. You know, many others would read those court filings on the cable networks and say the walls were closing in and it was Mueller had the goods and, you know, the big day was coming when it would all come down. I didn't see that in the court filings, and I think those who did see it yeah. should ha accept some responsibility here for seriously misreading what was in in the court filings. Yeah, and but I'd also say that one of the most important avenues of, of inquiry was uh, whether the Trump campaign coordinated, had contact with WikiLeaks before the dissemination of those hacked right. and stolen emails. And we had Randy Credico on our show, who was a key link to that mm -hmm. theory. We talked about uh, Roger Stone. And at the end of the day, we were pretty skeptical that it all added up. And we raised the question, is, well, is it? do we just have some charlatans and oddballs here who are making <laughs> right. all, sorts, all sorts of claims that uh, at the end of the day, they backed away from? And, and, you know, and we did. And apparently, that's what happened. We need to get Credico yeah. back on and tell him uh, Randy Credico is <laughs> vindicated. vindicated. Yes, yes. <laughs> and before we get to those big questions that remain on the table, which I think are serious and are going to be getting a lot of attention, particularly from the House Democrats, we should acknowledge that the Steele dossier, which you know was in the mix and riled everybody up, and as recently as last week, you know, Rachel Maddow, God bless her, was still clinging to it, saying it's been proven, it's being shown to be more and more true as more evidence comes out. It isn't. The dossier alleged a well-developed conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign to interfere in the election, to hack the DNC, to provide those emails to WikiLeaks with plausible deniability, and the Trump folks were in on it. Those were the allegations in the Steele dossier. And, of course, Mueller has found 
basically none of that to be true. And the people that touted it have to acknowledge that uh, this is a pretty serious finding. But look, that said, let's talk about what remains on the table here and the very curious wording of the Barr letter saying that Mueller, who nobody has ever described as a Hamlet-like figure who has trouble making a decision, couldn't decide or didn't decide whether the president's conduct amounted to obstruction of justice. What the bar letter says is that there was no decision to indict the president for obstruction, but he was not exonerated either. And he left it, Mueller did, to Barr and Rosenstein to make the decision. And I have to say, I find that completely baffling. I can't think of a precedent where a senior prosecutor, not just an independent counsel or a special prosecutor, just let's just say a a U.S. attorney operating somewhere out in one of the uh, districts in the United States, investigates a crime, investigates, say, obstruction of justice, and at the end of the day says, hmm, I can't really figure out whether this is a crime or not, or whether there are charges I can make or not. So I'm just going to ask my bosses in Washington to decide for me. I mean, I just it's really, really weird. I, I will say that if, if you read the words of the Barr letter, it's a little unclear whether Mueller explicitly says, I'm leaving this to the Justice Department to make this decision, or if that's just something that Barr and Rosenstein decided to do because... Mueller did not explicitly make a call. The reason that I think that's... Let's let's look at the actual wording, because I've got it here right in front of me. After making a thorough factual investigation into these matters, that's, this is Barr's letter, the special counsel considered whether to evaluate the conduct under department standards governing prosecution and declination decisions but ultimately determined not to make a traditional prosecutorial judgment. The special counsel, therefore, did not draw a conclusion one way or the other as to whether the examined conduct constituted obstruction. Instead, for each of the relevant actions investigated, the report sets out evidence on both sides of the question and leaves unresolved what the special counsel views as quote, difficult issues of law and fact concerning whether the president's actions and intent could be viewed as obstruction. The special counsel states that, quote, so I guess this is Mueller talking here, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. And then it it goes on to say, the special counsel's decision to describe the facts of his obstruction investigation without reaching any legal conclusion leaves it to the attorney general to determine whether the conduct described in the report constitutes a crime. And the reason I bring that up is because I guess the question is, was it Mueller's expectation that literally hours after he delivers that finding, the attorney general would then make the decision. Because there's an alternative here. He could have said, well, the alternative is that it's just left up to the Congress to decide what to do. And the attorney general says, okay, well, there's no finding here, and which implicitly means that there will be no prosecution. And so 
Now it's in the hands of, of well, Congress. A couple of things. Under the old independent counsel's law, which Ken Starr worked under, there was an affirmative obligation to report to conduct that might potentially be impeachable. The special counsel regulations under which Mueller uh, is governed doesn't have that language in it. Being a by-the-book guy, Mueller didn't have the authority to go to Congress on his own and say, I think you need to look at this. His only obligation was to report to the attorney general, which he's done. But given all the time and effort he spent investigating the obstruction question, remember, you know, how many hours was uh, Don McGahn, the White House counsel, questioned other members of the White House staff, the whole back and forth with the president himself, who ultimately was not interviewed by Mueller. I just find it puzzling that he did not feel he had an obligation to make what was clearly a tough call. I mean, well, it's well, a you know, one, no one, other way one, around it. One Mueller factor, one, well, one factor here may be one reason why Mueller may have been reticent to make a call. I'm not saying this is a justification, but trying to understand it is that he was never able to interview Trump himself. And of course, well, one of the key... He tried. Well, he tried. He, he tried, no. but in the end, he wasn't able to. Uh, well, he Trump did he answer some questions, he but... He could have subpoenaed him. He could, I'm not... Look, all I'm saying is... Well, it's not that he wasn't day, able to. He punted on that as well. Right. He could but, have taken but this. I'm just talking about like how you make how you make an obstruction decision, and you obviously have to establish corrupt intent. You have to understand what the president was thinking at the time that he took uh, those actions. And you know, it's possible that without being able to establish that corrupt intent, because he didn't interview him, he had a hard time making that call. That doesn't explain it, because at the end of the day, it seems to me that it is his obligation to either say, we've made this case, we can bring this before a jury, and we can win this case beyond a reasonable doubt, or we haven't. And so so we're, we're going to recommend uh, that there not be a prosecution, or obviously not an indictment, since we yeah. know that he... Well, Mueller's letter said that the fact that OLC has determined you can't indict the president was not a factor in the decision not to bring criminal charges against the president. What he said is, generally speaking, again, this is Barr's words, to obtain and sustain an obstruction conviction, the government would need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a person acting with corrupt intent engaged in obstructive conduct with a sufficient nexus to a pending or contemplated proceeding. Like a trial, like you have to be like trying to obstruct a trial or get a witness to not testify in a trial, right? That's the that's the pending proceeding. Right. Well, look, a grand jury the proceeding can be an investigation, which this was. So it seems to me on its face, there was a nexus there to a pending proceeding. I think the question would be whether he was acting with corrupt intent, I suppose. But you know what's interesting is that so Mueller spends a year, a year and a half looking at this question of whether the president obstructed justice. And at the end of the day, he says that because of legal issues and the facts are too difficult, I can't make a judgment. Barr turns around, he makes a judgment. He makes matter, a judgment a matter, right, right, away. It, right, right, right away. Right away. And, right. and this brings up, a, you know, I think a point that some people have made, which is that, of course, Barr did write this memo that some people described as a, a job audition. He wrote this memo that he sent to uh, 
administration lawyers basically arguing that uh, the president, that you know, yeah. the obstruction investigation was a joke. Uh, that yeah. wasn't the legal term he used, but his argument was that president can't be held criminally liable for exercising his constitutional duties. In this case, as president of the United States, he gets to fire the FBI director or he gets to fire the attorney general. So I guess in some ways he'd already made up his mind. So it didn't take him a long time to say, well, you can't, you know, he didn't obstruct justice. Look, there's no question that Nadler is going to haul bar up there and it's going to be ugly because they are going to bring up, you can already see this, they're going to bring up Barr's previous opining, the memo he wrote arguing why obstruction, the president's firing of Comey did not amount to obstruction and did, didn't justify an obstruction investigation and say he had already made up his mind uh, before he ever took the job that this was not obstruction. You know, the guy I want to hear from even more than Barr, I mean, I, I think, look, Barr- is Mueller, you know, right? Yeah, I want to hear from Mueller. I just find it completely baffling that he did not make even a recommendation here, according to Barr's letter. He just laid out, here's the evidence, you decide. Like I said in the, in the introduction here, it seems to me that undercuts the whole premise of a special counsel. The reason you have a special counsel is so that political appointees who could be accused of having a conflict of interest because they are beholden to the president, you know, you want somebody independent to make that call. And here, yeah. the guy who was supposed to do that instead bucked it it's just a, it doesn't add up. I mean, this everything we know about Mueller is he's this hard charging, decisive former Marine, amazing FBI leader when he ran the FBI. It's just what in the world could be the justification? I just yeah. don't get it because if you are not going to charge obstruction of justice, then you say, okay, there's no case here. You don't just like kick it upstairs. It just doesn't right. make sense. Right, right. Hey, even more than Mueller, I want to hear from the Mueller staff. Yeah. I want to hear, you know, because there had to have been vigorous, intense debates about this among the Mueller team. I got to believe that there were multiple different, you know, views, people with different perspectives. And uh, I don't know this because they've been leak free, but God, there must have been some pretty uh, intense arguments uh, behind closed doors yeah, about and how I, they would handle I, this. Yeah, it's a, you raise a good point because I, I don't really also see what the legal like, – how could – I don't see that, that, that Mueller and other members of his team could really resist subpoenas or decline to discuss any of these issues except for issues that are grand jury protected or classified or that may you know, have some impact on other investigations. But in this particular case, the decision has been made. The investigation is shut down. So there's no executive privilege. I, I just don't know how anyone on the Mueller team at this point could uh, resist those kinds of questions from Congress. So I think they will be hauled up there. Mueller for sure, but I think it's a very interesting question to see whether Andrew Weissman and some of the other people who are on that team will be called up as well. And what do they do when they get called up? I mean, Mueller is not a, uh, a guy who shares, you know. He may 
you know, he may get up there and say almost nothing. He'll say, I don't know. I don't know. It will be very interesting. You know, another thing that we got to start looking for right away are there had to have been memos about this by Mueller's folks, how to evaluate the evidence, what to do about it, how they made the call not to subpoena the president. I'm not terribly surprised by that because I never thought the uh, Nixon versus USA precedent was exactly on point with these circumstances in in Nixon uh, in the Nixon tapes case it was about getting tapes that were needed for an, an exi- ongoing an existing criminal, criminal trial criminal trial of John Mitchell Haldeman and Ehrlichman those tapes were the best evidence of what took place of right. what they but were there charged were pretty good, with. But there were pretty good arguments on the other side, basic principles like the president isn't above the law and you had the, the Paula Jones precedent. Maybe they wouldn't have won that case in the Supreme Court, particularly this Supreme Court, but it's not it's a close enough case that in a matter of such huge public interest, the idea that you don't seek testimony from the president seems a little strange to me unless unless maybe Mueller knew from the very beginning that he wasn't going to make the obstruction call. Yeah, in which case, why did he let this drag on as long as it did? Remember when we had on, uh, was it Phil Lacabora last summer, I believe it was, saying he didn't understand why the obstruction investigation was taking as long as it was and why we hadn't heard from Mueller already. That was last summer because, you know, most of it involved discreet conduct in February of 2017. Yeah. That's when, uh, that's when Comey was fired. Uh, that's when the whole back and forth with Rosenstein took place. That's when he started berating Sessions, recusing himself. I don't know. It's all puzzling, but listen. We should move on just very quickly and, and touch on some of the other investigations that remain. But before, I do want to say just one thing about these obstruction cases. Is This does not go to the very baffling, as you put it, decision Uh, or non-decision by Mueller. But it is the case that these are hard cases to make. And so you first, and these are things that Barr pointed out in his letter. First, in this case, because Mueller concluded that there was no collusion, therefore no uh, underlying crime Crime. was committed, and that's not, as he put it, determinative, but it does go to intent, and it it does make it harder to make these cases. Then you've got to prove corrupt intent, which is very hard to do. And finally, this idea that there needs to be a nexus to a pending or uh, contemplated uh, proceeding. You know, those are all elements that you have to prove, and they're difficult. And so it's not shocking to me that in the end, you know, they didn't say that he actually did commit obstruction, but it is very surprising that Mueller I agree. Although I, I, although I would point out, uh, I almost tweeted this today and then decided not to, but um, that uh, if you're looking for a, uh, a parallel or a stor- historical analogy, Bill Clinton was impeached for perjuring himself in a deposition in a sexual harassment lawsuit that at the time of his impeachment had been dismissed by the federal judge. True. So, true. Uh, true. you know. True. And you also have, you know, Scooter right. Libby, who, you know, they didn't, right. they didn't prove an underlying crime. There are lots of right. cases like that, but it's not the strongest. Let's just very briefly uh, talk about this is not the end of the road by a long <laughs> shot in terms of the investigations into this president. Uh, there are many more out there. 
you know, the Barr letter actually talks about Mueller having made various referrals to different, you know, U.S. attorneys' offices around the country. So just, Mike, why don't you just tick off some of these other investigations and the ones that you think present the most peril to this president? Look, you have have the Southern District investigation into the campaign finance violations that Michael Cohen is going to prison for. And, uh, you know, as we know, the uh, Southern District uh, uh, concluded that uh, Cohen's conduct was directed by uh, Donald Trump. So that would seem to indicate uh, that there's he's got some serious uh, potential legal exposure on that. Now, again, Southern District is ultimately answerable to William Barr. Uh, But I can tell you, knowing a lot about the Southern District and their reputation for being pretty aggressive, no holds bars prosecutors, they're not going to say, hmm, you know, we investigated him, the president for this or the other thing, and uh, eh, we just can't decide whether to charge or not. So we'll just send this up to our bosses, you know, the head of the criminal division at the yeah. Justice Department. You guys can make the call for us. But That's you not also, but you also know Barr, who if he feels that uh, they don't have a case or they shouldn't Absolutely. make the case, As- he will not hesitate squash that. There's the investigations into the Trump inaugural fund. That's also being handled by the Southern District, and uh, apparently they've got evidence from Cohen about uh, improprieties and uh, potential illegal contributions to the from foreigners to the inaugural fund. It'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. There's separate investigations into Trump's business by the New York Attorney General's office. Insurance uh, fraud, tax in, fraud, yeah, uh, yeah. lots of other potential uh, crimes there. And then, and this relates to the, I think in some ways to the, the investigations of the business, is the whole question of emoluments, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Yeah, although I got to say, Judge Massetti, who had given the green light for the emoluments case to go forward, that was the case, the lawsuit brought by the uh, attorneys generals in Maryland and D.C., the Fourth Circuit uh, gave that decision a really hard time, gave the attorney generals a, a really hard time in, during our oral arguments uh, last week. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. It was three Republican judges, and they didn't seem to be buying the arguments of the uh, AGs that they had standing because other businesses in Maryland and District of Columbia had been harmed by the Trump Hotel's business with foreign governments, which the premise is they were only getting that business as a way to suck up to the and curry favor with uh, the president of the United States and his administration. We'll see, but that's an ongoing matter that certainly uh, will be getting attention. There's going to be no shortage of stories and hearings and commentary about what happened today with this bar letter. Um, you know, there will certainly be a bar testimony before House Judiciary, I would think, very soon. And no shortage of stories about all these investigations. But if nothing else, this is a um, what happened today. This bar letter is a reminder of something that you know you and I know and have known for years. Just because there are federal prosecutors investigating you doesn't mean you're going to end up being charged with a crime. No, absolutely not. But but on the other hand, there's also the old uh, Kinsley rule, a reference to Michael Kinsley the great journalist um, and right. editor of the New Republic, who said that sometimes it's not the, I can't remember his exact words. No, the, but the it's, exact it's, words were, it's not, the scandal isn't what's illegal, the scandal is what's legal. That's right. Uh, and so... Uh, and that may, and that pretty much encompasses 
everything to do with Donald Trump and the Russians and the 2016 election. Well, this is a special edition of uh, Skullduggery, and we will be back at the end of the week. Hopefully with a lot more information to dissect. See you then. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at SkullduggeryPod. Now you can watch the podcast on YahooNews.com and Roku Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.